Our heads in prayer, even you people at home. Dear Heavenly Dad, thank you so much for Grace Life. Thank you, big picture, for having church. Thank you for the churches all over the world. Thank you for the churches all over the country. Please help all of us keep going on with our church family and learn that church is not about this building. Church is not about this particular time and place physically. It's about our relationship with God and it's about staying together as disciples. Please help us clear our minds and our hearts right now, enjoying the music and also praising God through music. Now let us hear the word of Joe uh, that has been placed on him by God's heart, placed on Joe's heart by God rather, and help our hearts be cleared. Whatever's happened this week, today, let us try to set it aside and just focus on this moment and cherish it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jim. All right, Joe. <clears throat> um, it is really good to be here today. And for those of you that are watching from home or on your phones, I'm glad you're there. And the handful of people and staff that are here this morning, uh, it's, a, it's a trying time. And uh, I was trying to figure out, should I do something different for the message today? But then I realized, no, I don't, I don't have to because we're just keeping going through the Gospel of Mark. And today's message is very um, relevant So a couple of things. The name of the message this week, week 21 of our series on the Gospel of Mark, I've called it Two Desperate Daughters. So by the way of introduction, let me just say a few things. COVID-19 is is really changing many things for us in many ways. The life that many of us were comfortable with just a couple weeks ago is being disrupted, and for some, it has already been destroyed. And this can cause, in the human heart, to turn to fear, sometimes hopelessness. It can give you a crisis of faith and even feelings of uh, desperation. Yet desperation, as scary and as painful as it is to experience and feel, it can actually drive us back to reliance upon our Heavenly Dad. And our desperation offers us an opportunity to restore an intimate connection with Heavenly Dad, perhaps something that we have neglected in our comfort or when our hope has been displaced in other things. Now, humanly speaking, when we come to Dad in desperation, we desire Him actually to just restore the previous life that we had, that we were enjoying, that was comfortable. That's what we want. Just, God, can you please just put it back to the way it was? But what if, what if Heavenly Dead has different plans? What if his intervention in our desperation ends up changing the course of our lives forever? What if Dad truly knows that if we are really going to have our pain healed, what needs to happen is he needs to take our life in a completely new direction. When I was experiencing life, And writing this sermon this week, that is what I saw in this week's passage. It's one of our favorite stories. I know Chris Martini on our staff, it's his favorite story. The story of Jairus and his daughter, and then one other daughter that nobody really cared about. It's a long passage, just bear with me. Mark chapter 5, 21 to 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged all about him. In other words, they're pushing up against him. They're trying to keep up. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all her money that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I we made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? And they said, "The, the child is not dead, but sleeping. And they all laughed at Jesus. But he put them all outside, (laughs) get out, (laughs) and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and they went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. More on that later. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. He strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. It's just an amazing story. There's so many things. And at first I thought about breaking it up, but I just couldn't because emotionally everything is so connected. So what we do at Grace Life, we look at three applications. History, what about man? Theology, what about God? And personal, what about us? Let's look at the history of this passage. I want to talk about desperate daughters. See, these Jesus and his disciples, they're on this relentless mission. You know what just happened recently, right? They were in the, the, uh, on the other side of the lake, and they're visiting with the demonized man and healed him. And those people in that part of the country wanted Jesus to leave. The people in Gerasene said, we don't like the fact that you are healing this demonic guy and making this commotion, and you ruined all our pigs. Would you please go? Get out of here. So they get in the boat, and they go back across. So you see, this is a very long day. My guess is at this point... Excuse me, it's the next day. It's since we know the trip would take about two to three hours to cross the lake. They're going on very little sleep, if any. They return to Capernaum, where Jesus has spent a lot of time. Everybody knows who he is there, and there's massive crowds, and they're waiting for him on his return right on the shore. But this time, instead of running from the crowd, Jesus goes right into the crowd. And there are many people around. But Jesus isn't there for the crowd. Just like he left the crowd to help the demonized man, he isn't there for the crowd here. He's there for two specific people in mind. And just like with the demonized man, he is there on purpose to interact with two women. One is younger and one is older. And the first one, 
is we see a beloved little girl. And by the way, you can follow Mark the Evangelist. He's tweeting about all these things every week. He's doing a great job taking great pictures with his Samsung phone. He's not an Apple guy. Sorry, people. He's a Samsung guy. I'm going to talk about uh, this beloved little girl. See, Jairus is a powerful religious leader in the synagogue. He's most likely a leader in the same synagogue Jesus has been teaching in, the one he's been healing in, the one he's been saying controversial things, the one that it got so bad that they wanted to kill him and he escaped the crowd. And Jairus is a very well-known religious leader and he's very wealthy and he's very powerful. He is a leader in the community and he is fully aware of all the controversy surrounding Jesus, fully aware of what an interaction with Jesus might bring to the table. But Jairus doesn't care. He is in a desperate position. Jairus's young daughter is dying. There is nothing doctors can do for her. He is out of options except for Jesus. Never mind that his employer, the temple, hate Jesus. He now knows, even as a religious leader, that his religion won't save her. Only Jesus can. He desperately, Jairus does, risks everything. His job, his reputation, and his daughter, frankly, if Jesus doesn't come through for him. Because of who Jairus is, the stakes are very high. The crowd is focused on the story. Everyone is watching. Everybody knows his daughter's sick. Everybody knows who his daughter is. And Jesus says, okay, guys, let's go to Jairus' house. Peter, James, John, you're with me. Jairus, come on. But then we see a lonely, suffering woman. You see the contrast between this daughter that everybody's concerned about and this woman that nobody's concerned about. As Jesus is making his way through the crowd, Another desperate patient, a desperate patient, sees her only chance for healing. And Mark describes this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Look, it means what you think it means, okay? And not only is this a big problem, this constant bleeding, but for a woman, it's an embarrassing problem. She's considered religiously unclean, unable to connect with the community. A cast-off, now she's broke. And the rules in Leviticus say that nobody can have anything to do with her. And this has been her life for 12 years. She had spent all her money for 12 years on doctors that couldn't heal her. She was broke, sick, unsightly, and dying. She has been suffering, interestingly enough, get this, she has been suffering for the same amount of time that Jairus' daughter has been alive. That is not a coincidence, people. God knows what he's doing here. The daughter's 12. She's been suffering for 12. But sadly, this woman doesn't have a dad like Jairus to look after her. She's a daughter, too, but her dad isn't around, probably dead. No husband. No son. She's a lonely, desperate daughter. Doctors were powerless to help her because medical science was virtually non-existent, very different from today. She's desperate medically. She's desperate socially. She's desperate financially, spiritually. But just like Jairus and his daughter, she's out of options. In a word, desperation. 
She has heard how Jesus' power to heal is real. And now, here he is in a crowd. She will stop at nothing to get to him. And she has one goal. She's not looking to talk to Jesus. She just wants to touch his garment. And it was a superstitious belief that if you touch the robe of a great person, you would somehow get blessing. That was something a lot of people kind of believed during those days historically. And that's her thought. If I can just touch his garment, I'll get something out of it. And with everyone in a throng bumping and touching Jesus, this is different. She touches the garment And he says, who touched me? Well, he knows who touched him, but he's making a point. He stops in a massive throng and asks who touched him. The disciples are annoyed with Jesus. Why are you asking? This is stupid. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus knows it's someone special that has touched him. So what Jesus does, I want to talk about Jesus and his daughters. So the first thing we see is that Jesus puts Jairus on hold. He chooses to interact with this lonely, suffering woman. He, could care, he couldn't care less about the crowd's agenda at this point, and they all have one agenda, get to Jairus' house, heal his daughter. Nobody notices or cares for her except for Jesus. In fact, they may have been a bit frustrated that Jesus has stopped to deal with this woman. What a contrast. Jesus, this is an emergency. There's a little girl. She's 12. She's near death. She should be priority over someone who's been languishing for years and probably has a couple months left at least. Jesus, that's not very good triage. You can see why they would be upset. But Jesus isn't surprised by any of this. He knows who touched him. And what happens next is just... uh, It's just so precious. So while this crowd is interested in one daughter of a powerful man, Jesus has love for two daughters. And he turns and calls her daughter. Now this week, being very emotional with everything that's going on, I'm just going to tell you, when I was restudying this and writing this sermon, this took my breath away. And I don't mind telling you, it made me cry. Just think about the depth of this what she's feeling. She touches his garment, is healed. Now she's afraid he's going to be mad. And he takes her by the face and says, daughter, it's okay. He calls her daughter. He's going to save a daughter, but he calls her daughter. She isn't only healed, but Jesus goes even further and he creates a sweet, precious moment for this cast off woman. It's so amazing, isn't it? Think of the social contrast between the two, one at the top and one at the bottom. And look how Jesus prioritizes them. This powerful Jairus is probably anxious now. Jesus, the crowd, is incredulous. But Jesus doesn't care. He's talking to his daughter. Hey, this is father-daughter time. Enough. I'm busy. And as Jesus creates this emotional eternal connection with this precious woman that nobody cared about, someone comes up with sort of a passive-aggressive disdain and says, don't Jairus, leave your, uh, your daughter's already dead. Just leave Jesus alone. Don't bother him. It's too late. Basically, 
I read that as this. They were blaming the death of the daughter on Jesus for wasting time with this other daughter. That's my opinion. So Jesus responds to this, and he says, only believe. He responds to Jairus. He says, Jairus, listen, don't listen to them. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. The rest of you annoying people, you stay here. No, no, you can't come. Peter, James, John, you're with me. The rest of you guys stay here. We're going. And when they get there to the house, to Jairus' house, all the servants of the house, the friends, the family, they're all immersed in immense, intense grief and sorrow. It's a house full of agony. Jesus sees their sorrow, and he says, everybody, listen, it's okay. She's just sleeping. And the people, probably not the family, but the people are so calloused, they mock Jesus. They laugh at him. So now he kicks them out. And I would imagine he did this for the sake of the parents. You know, I mean, it's already hard enough what they're going through. Jesus says she's just sleeping. And then they start laughing at him. He was probably a little frustrated. You guys, would you just go? I got this. He gives them hope. And then those people without faith mock him. Get out, all of you. So now it's Jesus, the parents, and the three disciples. They go to the little girl's bedside. And in Aramaic, he says something. uh, It's just stunning. The phrase that he says in Aramaic, if you'll allow me, it means this. Sweetie, wake up now. Kind of like what you would do if you were waking up a child on a nice, calm morning. It's time to get up, sweetie. She rises. She walks around. People are shocked. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. How's that going to go? <laughs> but for goodness sakes, would you feed her? She's got to be hungry. <laughs> and Jesus, in this moment, in this story, he loves both his daughters. Even though the crowd had a favorite, he doesn't value one above the other. Jesus was father to both daughters. He knew he was going to do something in the lives of both. And what they did is they got more than what they bargained for. Let me explain. How do you think the woman felt when she was healed and Jesus called her daughter? How do you think she was feeling right there in that crowd? What kind of connection do you think she felt with Jesus as that desperate moment in the midst of this huge crowd turned into an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe? How do you think the little girl felt when Jesus gently told her, sweetie, get up? How do you think Jairus and his wife felt when she did? Can you take a moment and even try to quantify the affection the dedication and the commitment they must have felt for Jesus in that moment. They all experienced this incredible, intimate connection with the Father, just as the demonized man did one day ago on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The moment is transformative. Tying them to Jesus in a close, intimate, eternal relationship, their life has been radically altered. 
physically, emotionally, spiritually. They have a new calling, a new hope, a new purpose, and they have a brand new value system. Trust me, everything has changed. So let's look at the personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this story? I want to talk about joy and desperation. So this was the uh, social media campaign this week that I did the sermon preview. When you come to Christ for help, it may end up costing you more than you anticipated. It sounds ominous, but it's not. Today, I'm just, let me just be vulnerable with you just a little bit. Actually, this whole section is a little bit of vulnerability for me. It's one of the core values at Grace Life. So I'm so jealous of these daughters. I mean, I'm not jealous of the miracles. Those are cool but I am actually really jealous of the intimate connection they have with Jesus even today in eternity. I mean, if you're a child of God, aren't you jealous of this? Don't we, if we're children of God, desire that intimate connection with Jesus? Can you imagine how this moment, this relationship has changed their lives? Because listen, what they were, were desperate children. Circumstances brought both daughters to the point of desperation when all other things in the world had failed them. The woman was pursuing a superstitious relationship with Jesus. She just wanted to touch his garment. She wanted a relationship with his garment, not him. She just wanted to be healed. Jairus doesn't want a resurrection initially. He just wants his daughter healed. Now. On his terms, they both just want a normal life back. That's all they want. But Jesus turns both into huge public events, not just because he wants to heal them, but because he wants a relationship with them. It ends up costing them both more than they have ever bargained for. Now they have a a whole new price tag. Now they've got to follow Jesus, not just receive But they also received a lot more than they were asking for. They get grace now. They get mercy, forgiveness, transformation, and more importantly, eternal life. But with both, the miraculous interaction with Jesus not only healed their bodies, but it healed their souls. And, you know, it occurred to me when it comes to Christianity, especially in America, Many of us seek that superstitious connection. Don't get me wrong. Try try to track with what I'm saying. Don't get mad at me. But we seek it somehow in our prayers. We seek a superstitious connection with Jesus in our prayers. Thinking if we pray just the right way, it's the right amount of times, and maybe we'll get something. We seek that superstitious connection like the woman was in our religion. But the fact is, many of us aren't really pursuing a relationship with Jesus. But when we realize Jesus has become our only option, we begin to experience the transforming connection of being actual children of God, not theoretical children of God. At Grace Life, we have, like I said earlier, always taught this value of vulnerability. It's one of the core components of living the Grace Life together. So let me just tell you, I experienced tremendous feelings of desperation firsthand this week. As things that I have trusted in and had comfort in for years faded right before my eyes. 
And this week, my personal life experiences made this story of desperation so unbelievably real. It revealed to me that something has been missing in my connection to Heavenly Dad for years. And many of you are experiencing that same feeling this week. Circumstances are changing. And you can feel it. There may be some desperation right around the corner. But I can tell you this. If you aren't experiencing desperation yet, here's what I'm going to tell you. Boy, are you missing out. <laughs> Personal experience, I can tell you, you're missing out. So I want to talk about a father's love. <clears throat> Luke 11 11 to 13, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You can see how Jesus gave these two daughters far more than they could ever have asked for. Because Heavenly Dad wants our desperation to drive us to be like a child. If you'll give me, let you give me this picture. It's like a child who is full of fear and anxiety, trusting Dad for the first time in a pool, learning how to swim. I don't want to let go. Just trust me. I got you. No, just trust me. I got you. And I don't, if I let go, it's, all I know is this, this thing I'm holding on to right now. This is all I know for life and comfort. No, you're going to love to swim. Come to me. That's what he wants for us. That feeling. And dad knows. Dad knows that desperation clears the way for his children to receive gifts we wouldn't trade for anything this world has to offer. What we thought was good living before will pale into comparison to life transformed by intimacy with dad. Today, as painful as it is for me, I'm thankful for desperation that enables me and us to see what's been keeping us from precious, intimate reliance upon Heavenly Dad over anything else. What things from pre-COVID-19 life were in the way of you experiencing the love of Heavenly Dad? Do you know? Are there some things that maybe in the back of your head, you know, boy, I hope COVID-19 doesn't disturb those or that or this. I'm just going to trust that... God that won't happen because I would really be desperate if that went away. What source of peace, hope, purpose, and happiness kept you from an intimate connection with Heavenly Dad? Are we, are you desperate enough to abandon things unworthy of our trust? Things we thought were enough to sustain us just a few weeks ago? Are we desperate enough to truly experience all the benefits of the love that Heavenly Dad is ready to pour out on us? Because I'll tell you, because until, <clears throat> until we are desperate enough 
this life is meaningless. Until we're desperate enough, this life is shallow. Until we're desperate enough, this life is lonely and is in desperate need of transformation. So, Dad, we just ask, in these trying times as things are changing, we confess to you some of us are fearful. We ask, Dad, that you would help us to see desperation as a gift. That's not human thinking. But Dad, we are your desperate sons and daughters, even if we don't recognize it. And we are ready as a church, as a family, as individuals, to be desperate enough to transform our lives, even if it costs us everything we thought we loved before. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank all of you that have joined us on the live stream today, and uh, I'm glad that you were able to do that. I hope you enjoyed it. As your pastor, I want you to know I love you. I've been thinking about you often, and if you need anything during this time, don't make me come get you. Let us know we've got your back. Have a great week. Thank you.